Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Like half a day. That's all you guys got to get through up until the Thanksgiving holiday. Welcome in Dempsey and company high above a Colorado Boulevard. I'm your host, Alex Ryan Emmy. You guys know me better as Raj joined as always by the namesake of the program, Christopher Dempsey. What's going on, Raj? What's up, man? Nuggets fell last night, 110-108 to the Pistons, a game in which we didn't think Nikola Jokic or Aaron Gordon uh, or Jamal Murray would even be able to go last night. (laughs) All three of them were in the lineup, (laughs) and this game shot from a five-point favorite Nuggets to 11.5 prior to tip. Mm. Uh, It started off with an 8-0 Pistons run. It was defensively porous all game. The Nuggets came back from down 13 in the fourth quarter to make it a one-possession game and unfortunately couldn't get it done. Uh, It was really exciting at the beginning of the game, at least prior to tip, and then it just felt like one of those inevitable trappish energy lacking games where uh, Denver can't really stop anyone on the defensive side. And when you only have Nicole Jokic buzzing around for North of 30 points, and that was largely it last night on the offensive half of the ball. Uh, that's not a great recipe for beating a, a win previously winless Pistons team uh, at home. Yeah. Sometimes th- in terms of the Pistons play on the road. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They, they were 0 and 10 right until last night. Uh, you know, sometimes in sports, I just think this it's, 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 it's really, you don't need to overcomplicate things when you have a team that is bad, then you keep them in that space. So uh, Nuggets coach, Michael Malone likes to say uh, one thing. He says this one all uh, over and over again is, is that when his team wins, to, to understand why you had that success. So I think in the reverse, when you have a team like the Detroit Pistons coming in and they're three and four, uh, excuse me, three and 15 coming in, they're 0 and 10 on the road, understand why they are bad and keep them in that space. Now here's where Detroit was bad. They are the worst shooting team in the NBA jump shooting. Now their field goal percentage overall was 43.3 coming into the game. That was 30th out of 30 teams. Their three-point percentage also in the bottom third of the NBA. Their highest points per game, uh, their highest points in the paint game this season. Well, I'm sorry, their average points uh, points in the paint game this 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 season is 44. They had 34 at halftime. The Nuggets didn't keep a bad team in their in the space that makes them bad, and so Detroit then just got to the rim as much as they wanted to 60 points in the paint for a team that averages 44 60. And so if you're going to take a team that shoots it terribly, well, how will they shoot it? Well, well, they'll shoot it. Well, if they get it to the rim all night long, 
which is what they did. Then they shot 51% from the field overall. And you find yourself in the fourth quarter of a game that probably you shouldn't have even shouldn't even gotten that far if you would have just done the thing that keeps a bad team bad. And so then you you put the pressure on yourself to have to execute in the fourth quarter and the Nuggets didn't execute down the stretch in the fourth quarter. So which is obviously not a little bit unlike them, you know, with, with Joker and Jamal and all those guys. And so maybe there's a little rust that has to get knocked off. But I, I just think that it was a pretty simple task. And that was just to make them shoot jump shots all night long uh, because they can't make them. And then when you didn't do that, when more than half of the Detroit shots, Detroit took 88 shots overall, 46 of them were from inside or in the paint. So they just felt that they, they could just get there, and they did, and they shot 65% on those shots in the paint, and then they beat you. In terms of X's and O's, what didn't Denver do to keep them outside of the paint to start shooting jump shots from, uh, let's call it the elbow, or even push them outside the arc where they struggle as well? Outside of Bogdanovich, it, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty uh, pretty anemic from outside the, the three-point arc. Yeah, uh, you know, they didn't shrink the court well enough. And, you know, by shrinking the court, basically just clogging the lane, keeping feet and bodies in the lane. It's more like feet because you don't want the defense of three seconds. Uh, But you want to shrink the court as much as possible and then get out to three-point shooters if that's what they want to do. And especially against a team that really doesn't shoot it that well and some of their really good shooters weren't even playing in that game. So what you don't want is the the free-for-all into your paint and so you shrink the court and then close out to three-point shooters well the nuggets didn't really do that you know they 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 were uh, allowed they allowed detroit to space them out stretch the defense kind of thin and then find all kinds of driving lanes all night long and or and whether it was uh, you know a half court quick screen get into the lane um iso situation where you just get by your man and you get into the lane transition where you're you're just kind of flowing and and getting to the basket um, it was in all the ways i mean they didn't really post anybody up but uh, you you just had to shrink the court better the nuggets weren't able to really do that in in any real appreciable way and so um this team was able to score and shoot a high percentage while doing so when we were chatting earlier this morning, you mentioned just one possession of zone last night for the Nuggets mm-hmm. against Detroit, and that's something that was a bit of a pain point for you in terms of Michael Malone not making that adjustment to a team that does not shoot the three ball or doesn't shoot well in general. I, you obviously mentioned to start the program that Detroit's the worst jump shooting team in the NBA as it stands right now and how you beat the two, three zone is to shoot and simply hit down jump shots. And uh, the only way that you can break the two, three zone by not shooting jump shots is penetrating the middle with passes. Mm -hmm. And with the size that the nuggets have on a two, three zone, especially when you're pretty much completely healthy. I know, I know the guys were coming off of illnesses, non COVID related. So you're probably huffing and puffing a little bit, mm-hmm. but you've got the length to compete there. Yeah. Why just one possession at zone? Yeah, I don't know because I thought that that was a really nice adjustment to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, the nuggets were struggling, obviously a man to man defense and uh, you go to a two, three zone and the, the possession was just exactly what I thought that might be. And it was Detroit couldn't get into the lane. They tried to kind of float a cross-court pass. The Nuggets pick it off, and they're going the other way. And then that was it for, for the for the possessions of zone. And, um, you know, uh, it's for, for a team like that, I mean, look, Detroit shot 8 of 28 from the three-point line. 
28.6%. That's about what they do on the season. So they weren't shooting it well. They they profiled exactly as they have for the early part of the season. <laughs> the problem was Denver shot just as poorly from three. They, they went five of 19. That is true. That is true. And that and I think that, that was a, that's a big deal for a Nuggets team that really does rely on the three-point shot. And they are one of the best three-point shooting percentage teams in the league. And so to put 26% on the board, that one was tough. There's no doubt about that. Um, def- the bench scoring, you know, Bones didn't play. He, he played nine minutes and, you know, he didn't play in the second half at all. That certainly hurt the bench scoring. The Nuggets were outscored 53 to 22 uh, in bench points. So you put a lot of pressure on your starters to be able to see you through. Um, and, and generally they, they had good games. Jamal didn't have the shooting game that he wanted to have. And, uh, you know, I, look, his is a complex return because now you're returning from health and safety protocols while also you're still trying to work your way in from an ACL. So his game is a little bit more complicated. He was three for 12 from the field. Um, and, and then you only had one, one guy off the bench in double figures and that was Bruce Brown. So, uh, you know, there was just a couple of areas that the nuggets are usually really good in that they, um, you know, look, they didn't have great nights in those areas. And when you couple that with what they weren't able to do defensively, it, it, it equaled a pretty bad loss. Is it too bland of me to say as Michael Porter Jr. goes from three, so do the Nuggets? Because that's what it seems like statistically, at least over the last six games, right? Because he's been, we have to call a spade a spade, right? He was the hottest three-point shooter in the league to start the year, and he's been pretty damn cold uh, in five of his last six games, being held under 20%. And the Nuggets have lost four of those six basketball games. It seems like if MPJ isn't buzzing from three, or at least if he's struggling like he was last night and like he has been for the past three straight games, Mm. Denver fails to come out on top. Yeah, he's a big part of of their, you know, three-point profile. There's no doubt about that. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and he was one of five from the three-point line last night. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, part of the reason why the Nuggets are one of the best three-point shooting teams is because of him. You know, Bruce Brown figures into that. KCP figures into that. But, uh, you know, they only got 19 three-pointers up any, anyway. You know, so I, that that's... I didn't love the volume. Yeah, I, I, I thought that it should be a little bit more, but but... You know, look, I talked about Detroit's points in the paint. It's only because that the Nuggets were doing whatever they wanted in the paint. And I just wonder if Detroit, if that wasn't by a little bit by design. The Nuggets had 70 points in the paint. Nobody wants to give up 70 points in the paint. But if you're only taking 19 three-point shots, that says to me that the defense was tilted to be able to, to run you off the three-point line, knowing how good you are as a team at three-point shooting contest run off and then they would live with the points in the paint and so that's i think what happened there i don't know it off the top of my head i would venture to say that uh analytics leaning guys would probably say 19 attempts against in a game is you're gonna win more games than you lose uh, if you're the defensive team giving mm-hmm. up those 19 attempts yeah and then you you and then you pile on top of that the nuggets only made five of them you know even if they geez if, if they if they shot to their percentage maybe it's more like seven and you know look two more three-pointers, you win that game, you know? And so it's, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I think the sh- Detroit's defensive strategy, I mean, it, it worked. I mean, the Nuggets shot 50%, so it wasn't like they weren't making shots, but they weren't making them from long range, and it's a big part of what they do. Uh, and then Detroit was able to get a foothold uh, themselves. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a tough way to go out. I mean, I'm, lo- I'm looking at the box score right here, and, and Kevin Knox – he scored 17 points, 
Raji averages 2.5 points per game. 2.5. He scored 17 yesterday. I should go back and see the last time he scored 17 in a game because I, I bet it's been a while. Everybody went over their averages. Alec Burks, who we know around here, used to play for University of Colorado. He was four points above his average. Marvin Bagley was four points above his average. Uh, Bogdanovich, uh, he hit. He, Marvin Bagley hit. impressed me last night, and I really wasn't expecting to be impressed by Marvin Bagley. Mm-hmm. I liked him in the paint. I thought he rebounded really well. I thought he was tenacious on the boards, especially on the offensive side of the ball for mm-hmm. Detroit. Mm-hmm. That was a player I did not expect to be like, you look like a top five pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you get him to his left hand, he's actually, he's really, he, you know, he can do some things. You know, if you take that left hand away from him, that's where, you know, the thing about Marvin Bagley, and this is, this goes all the way back to Duke. And if you look, review, like when I was doing film study on him coming out of Duke, the links that Duke went through to get him to spaces of strength on the court, they, they jumped through a lot of hoops to do that. Now he's a good player, but the X's and O's were extraordinary in terms of making sure he always got to his left hand, making sure he was always, it, it was I got to give Coach K a lot of credit for for what he did X's and O's wise with Marvin Bagley because he's doing the same thing here in the pros. And that's that's not having an effective enough right hand to be able to be as dynamic a player. He's a talented player, but you can only do so much if you're you're basically just one handed. Nuggets fall 110-108 last night to the Pistons. They will travel out to OKC to take on the Thunder tonight, 6 p.m. You can hear that game on our sister station, Altitude Sports Radio AM 950, is the Avalanche are home to take on the Vancouver Canucks with a 7.30 pregame right here on Altitude Sports Radio 92.5. Plenty more to get back into with this game, certainly the last two minutes in the final possession for the Nuggets. They had a chance to tie it up. We'll preview the Avs. We'll go over Broncos and Panthers. We'll have our picks head-to-head against the spread for five games of this Week 12 slate in the NFL. It's Dempsey and Company on Altitude Sports Radio 92.5. Despite the Broncos being out of it and a couple of three and seven teams playing uh, this coming Sunday morning between the Broncos and the Panthers as they head out there to Carolina, a, Mm -hmm. you know, a toilet bowl version of a, a Sunday slate. Unfortunately, we do have a lot of really good football coming up. It's college football rivalry week. We get to see uh, the matchup at the horseshoe. Number two, number three, Ohio State hosting Michigan and what's going to go a really, really long way into uh, determining what the college football playoff is going to look like this year. We've got USC and Notre Dame USC right now at number six after the college football playoff rankings came out Mm -hmm. last night. LSU is at five, but uh, that's a strategic move for the committee to put them there, obviously, as they'll be uh, heading up against Georgia in the SEC title game. And right. I believe you don't want them leapfrogging. USC exactly yep. I, I think the the precedent set there is you beat Georgia you deserve to get in LSU you lose you're out with three losses and then USC has a chance to get in depending on how the Ohio State and Michigan game goes mm-hmm. and I would assume TCU finishes this year out undefeated who knows what happens in the big 12 title game but they should beat Iowa State this weekend um, that's your top, your top five is Georgia or sorry, Georgia, number one, Ohio state two, Michigan, three undefeated TCU four. all four of those teams without a loss on their ledger, yeah. LSU five and USC six. That's pretty much the only contenders as yeah. to where we stand today. Yeah, that's it. And 
you know, I, I, I think like LSU and, and, and we've been, we've seen LSU come in here for the last couple of weeks and, and that's the team that can create the most havoc in this situation if they can beat Georgia. And that is a, that is not an easy task. It, it, every team that looks like they're really good, Georgia makes them look like they're JV. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it's been a nice season for, for Brian Kelly in his first season at LSU and you know they had a little bit of a rocky start and they just kind of gotten better over the course of the season and put themselves in position to get themselves in the college football playoff in his first year that, that that's let me tell you it's for him he's going to recruit this might be the low water mark he's a really good coach you can recruit players on players on players to LSU and if that's going to be if they're going to get there this year as a two loss team and be able to kind of iron some of the wrinkles out over the course of the season, man. It's he. He might be. Uh, he might be setting himself up for a really big run there. But I think that a they are not going to be Georgia. <laughs> I think Georgia is just a monster, and they are a monster that uh, nobody can tame. And LSU is not necessarily ready for that just quite yet this year. And if that's the case, then I, you know what, Raj? I'm looking for the same four to stay. And and I know USC is is going to scream to the rafters that they should be in there. But just don't lose to Utah. You know, just don't do that. It's a one-point loss. You're going to keep them out from a one-point loss. Outside of that, they've pretty much handled everyone on their roster. I know the UCLA game last week, it, it ended up being super entertaining all the way down to the wire. A little bit closer than USC would have liked to have put in front of the CFP uh voting board uh, when they came out with the rankings last night like maybe they jump up into five if you smack UCLA Mm -hmm. I still think they deserve a a puncher's chance will they be the team that goes in and assuming Georgia wins out and gets beat by Georgia by 35 in the first round yeah I I think that's going to (laughs) happen I know. Well, especially with their defense, which just gives up points on points on points that give up so many points. If UCLA can put up 45, right. Georgia what is gonna Georgia going to do? Exactly right. So, I, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I, I, and I had this discussion a little bit with, with Chez, and I, I think for me, just the eye test, I don't care who loses the Ohio State-Michigan game. Uh, unless it's, you got beat by four touchdowns. If it's any kind of 10-point, seven point three point game I'd put them both in the college football playoff because I the eye test to me says that both of those teams are better than USC and and if it's one loss one loss you take right. especially with the the strength of schedule that both Michigan and Ohio State have comparatively to the Trojans I find myself agreeing with you yeah and and Michigan it only gets pr- a little problematic for Michigan in their non-conference schedule because it was real whack. <laughs> It's, it was if if we if you recall you it was CSU Colorado Rams State really and then it was much? Hawaii after that you know when they were trying to figure out who their quarterback was going to be so um, it, it's it's a little more problematic and that's probably why they need to win more than Ohio State needs to win or that game needs to be Ohio State kicks a field goal at the you know at the as time expired to beat Michigan. Because if if they get blown out, then you're you know that strength of schedule might be something that could get a little dicey for them. But I still look at them. I've I've seen UFC USC play almost every single game, and I've seen Michigan play almost every single game. Those two teams, 
I just think Michigan's better. I think they're a better overall football team. And, you know, defensively is where I would probably start. But, uh, you know, look, we're splitting hairs and, and the committee, you know, Michigan doesn't want this to happen. Then they just need to be Ohio State. Um, the world's better when USC is in and, the conversation. And they haven't been in a long time, right? I know. They haven't been in a long time. I just time. think back to the early 2000s, man. Those teams, those Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, mm-hmm. Lendale White teams were just so damn entertaining. I obviously throw in the Vince Young-led Texas squad that hammered the Buffaloes in the Big Ten title game. Those were, or sorry, Big 12 title game. Those were were really really exciting years for college football well and you know it's wow and the pac-12 how bittersweet for the pac-12 because really it's your you're at the big 10 team <laughs> that's cool that's playing really well that us and when you get usc and ucla playing really well it's hard for the pac-12 to really puff its chest out and say see we're back because actually those teams are out of there and you're left with what you're left with and that's why they really if oregon could have continue to play well and play themselves into this, that would have been the perfect scenario for the Pac-12 because Oregon's in the actual Pac-12. That takes a little bit of the bite out of the Oregon-Oregon State rivalry mm-hmm. this weekend too, which I'm excited about, right? It's 9 versus 21. That should be a rock'em, sock'em game. It's at Oregon State, which is only a really, really tough place for the Ducks to play. I was expecting that to have a lot more impact on the CFP earlier on in this year than it's going to. I'll still have my eye on it, but... Uh, speaking of the Pac-12, did you see Sam Darnold, starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers this weekend as they host the Broncos. So the top three picks as they've been carouseling around the Panthers organization this year uh, from the 2018 draft, Baker Mayfield going one to the Browns, Sam Darnold number three (laughs) to the Jets. Uh, There's been four separate starters with the Panthers this year, Mm -hmm. and now Darnold's finally getting another chance. He can never stay healthy. Even when he is, he's inconsistent. He'll go on these runs where he looks like a middle-of-the-road quarterback that can be serviceable and get you wins, and then like last year, he loses seven straight and then gets a high ankle sprain. What's what's the line on this game? Do you know what's the line on this? Broncos game? minus two as it stands this morning. Why? Why for what? <laughs> for why? <laughs> why? For the over under is thirty eight. Is that appease you a little bit more? <laughs> under. I'm taking all the. Are the Broncos involved? I'm taking the under because they don't score points. Yeah. Then I the the fact that they're favorite. Wow. I mean, okay. You know, I mean, it's. Are we watching the games? Are we watching them? Unfortunately. Yeah, because the Broncos can't score. Their defense is fantastic. They'll probably intercept Sam Darnold three times and hopefully run one back because Ovens won't score that touchdown. The defense should eat Sam Darnold alive. I don't expect there's not a wide receiver that Carolina possesses that can eat Pat Sertan up like Devontae Adams did. And it's the first time that we've seen Pat Sertan look a little, you know, look a little green mm-hmm. uh, at, at the cornerback position. And it takes the best in the world, arguably yeah, exactly in right. Devontae to do yeah. that to a young corner. And you obviously heard him saying he ain't ready. He's not there yet. Uh, were the words coming out of Devontae's mouth after he caught the overtime touchdown, Pat Sertan's not going to have another game like that this weekend against Carolina. This team is still the third-ranked defensive unit in the league based on scoring. Carolina can't find a way to put up points consistently. 
they do have a good offensive line. The Broncos pass rush hasn't been anything uh, to write home about since the Bradley or Chubb trade, which I think you're now starting to see a little bit of, well, these guys are good enough, but are they good enough when you're getting double teamed or Mm. chipped constantly or running back is waiting for a little chip and release route? No, they're not, especially when Randy Gregory hasn't been on the field and then Chubb's not on the roster as well. So I Maybe Sam Darnold's going to have some time in the pocket. Baker Mayfield did, but they weren't successful even with that time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Baker Mayfield—he's—he's he's such a bad. He might be out of the league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um. Right? Would you sign him as a backup right now? No. Well, actually, it might not be a bad. Maybe idea. cheap contract. Put him behind Russ. Maybe. But 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 you 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 have to just cross your fingers and just pray that if your starter goes down, that it's not for a big chunk of time. It can't get because, it can get much worse than Russ right now. Well, I know, I know, I know. But are you would you rather take bad Russ or Baker Mayfield? They flip a coin at this point, Temps. <laughs> I guess I'd still take bad Russ, but I mean, maybe I guess I I can understand if somebody didn't, but I would still take bad Russ. I, you would, mm, uh, Baker, it it has just deteriorated so much for him. It's such a shame. Yeah. He's such an, an exceptional athlete. He just doesn't have the prowess at the, uh, at the college level. He screams Tim Tebow with like a barely better arm to me. Yeah. Great in college, just doesn't have the chops for the NFL in terms of his ability to read defenses, get the ball out of his hands quickly uh, and simply be an accurate passer of the football. Yeah. Lead it, yeah. The baseline things you need to be a good, competent quarterback in the NFL, right? And then the ability to win when it's time to perform in the clutch. You, you look, we need a drive, we need a touchdown. Can you do that? And then get your team to the playoffs, which you did in in Cleveland. Um, but then then get your team through to to you know AFC Championship and then Super Bowl, which you could not do in, in Cleveland. So, um, you know. I don't know. And then you have Sam Darnold. And then, I don't know. This is, I'm still very surprised that the Broncos are even favored in this game. I, I even, I, I just am. The Russ factor is always going to bring them there. Because until, you figure. Until the books and until the public, and I hope this isn't the case, right? Because you're hopefully granting him this one year of suck. This yep. one year of it's turmoil. It's the head coach. It is a change in ownership. It's you bringing into a new, a completely new offense and a new place, new organization, new city, all this. You're being granted the year of crap. And hopefully next season it starts to turn around. If it doesn't by week three, four, five, six next year, I think you'll see sports books and especially the betting public come out, not necessarily the sharp betters. Mm-hmm. And let's just call it NFL fan bases in general start to sour on Russ as what he used to be. And then it's going to go from, well, he could be Russ of Seattle to what was Russ in Seattle? Was it just Pete Carroll? Was it just the defense? Was it simply the running game that he had behind him for all of those years? And then a couple of elite wide receivers and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf come along, keep him afloat for a couple of seasons before he slows down. Uh, inevitably gets injured with his hand last year, right? That's the that's the precipice that he's going to be on going into next season, regardless of Hackett is here or not. I don't expect him to be. It's been such a dumpster fire that that guy's got to go. If it continues that way, you may get into that. 
he might be changing his his legacy. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, there's certainly I, I think this is fascinating because the question that we all are asking is how was he good in the first place? And boy, you know, you don't he's got so many years of great stats, obviously Super Bowls and one of them being a Super Bowl title. He's got so much of that built up that it's shocking to me that I could even ask that question. Was I, he ever good? What made you good? Were you good? Was Pete Carroll the kind of coach that could see what you weren't good at and did a fantastic job of covering that up with scheme? And then by the end of that, you when you pushed back, he that's that's why you're now here in Denver? Was it just because you had good wide receivers, especially toward the end of your tenure? Was it because of the Legion of Boom? Was it because of Beast Mode? What, what, or was it actually you? Because I think when you talk about, and, and this goes back to the, to the, to the line of the, 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 the Broncos, Carolina Panthers line, right now those lines that when both teams are terrible but the Broncos are continue to be favored in these games, it's only because I think that there is this still this belief that any one of these games it could flip. And he could throw three touchdowns and he could, there's just enough doubt as to coaching, like you just said, and personnel around him that the Broncos are still no doubt favored in some games. Maybe I wouldn't even, I just, I don't know why they would be favored when you have the worst Carolina sucks too. That's the thing. And Carolina doesn't have nearly, and Carolina's defense has been surprisingly good this year. They were Mm -hmm. supposed to be horrendous. It's been one of those like, oh, you're not as bad as we expect. So they can't stop Russell Wilson and the Broncos? I'm not saying they can't, but if, all right, so. Like everybody stops them. If you're telling, would you take the Carolina offense over the Broncos offense? The word has to be yes, because Denver's offense is statistically the worst in the league. Okay. Right? But Carolina's isn't all that much better. True. Now, would you take Denver's defense or Carolina's defense? Well, I would take Denver's defense over almost every defense in the NFL. But the problem is, is it it has led them to a three. And what are they? Three and eight, three and seven. Like that, that's what they are right now. All right, the Panthers right now, 25th in the league in terms of NFL defensive rating uh, in terms of points given up. However, they are second right now. Mm hmm. I mean, it's kind of a pick 'em, right? Minus two feels it's it's a it's a pick 'em. I mean, these teams are as bad. Each one is as bad as the other one, and I, I it's you you ask good questions, man. I just don't believe in the Broncos' offense anymore. I mean, you, they 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 literally have to show it to me. Quite honestly, probably for the remainder of the season before I will even start to believe in anything that they are doing offensively. But look. There's been enough explosive plays and glimpses and whatnot that I think that there that's that's why you still have these well, but the Broncos can this thing can kind of turn. I get it, I get it, but they've shown us nothing to really warrant that that belief. They've shown us less than eight fewer fifteen points per game. <laughs> I, Okay. I still look at that Carolina defense, right? They've been a little bit surprising. 357 and a half yards per game is down there with Jacksonville, Arizona, 
uh, the L.A. Chargers. But uh, then again, I rip off Jacksonville and the Chargers, and those are two teams that the Broncos couldn't beat. So Right. Couldn't beat the Colts, couldn't beat the Chargers, couldn't beat the Raiders. Minus two. Do you have the balls to put your money on that for the Broncos? We'll uh, continue discussing mm-hmm. that a little bit more. Avs will take on the Vancouver Canucks, or Canucks tonight at 8 p.m. on Altitude Sports Radio 92.5. A notable first-round pick of the Avs is reportedly making his NHL debut tonight. I'll tell you who that is and break it down on the other side. Join me, yeah, Raj in spring live at Nola Jane, one four three five Market Street for the Between the Pipes Abs post game show. It's brought to you by Bet Safe Colorado, the exclusive club for passionate gamers and betters across the state. Download the app to start playing today and bet safe. Visit co.betsafe.com for terms and conditions. It'll be a late start for the Abs tonight, Demps, as we welcome you guys back to Dempsey and Company. Alex Ryan Emmy alongside Chris Dempsey. 8 p.m. puck drop, 7.30 p.m. pregame as the Avs uh, prepare to host the Vancouver Canucks this evening, uh, one of the most poorest defensive teams in the NHL this year, giving up nearly four goals per game. Uh, the Canucks regularly blow multi-goal leads. They did a couple of nights ago against the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, namely a two-goal third-period lead, uh, and then fell in a shootout to Vegas. Uh, Vancouver is a team that's ripe for the picking right now. They I was going to say, most, so you're saying that the Avs should win this game. I am i don't know about that because it could be a trap game, and the Avs are so freaking hurt that yeah. losing a game here and there is not going to surprise me, right? Uh, what did surprise me was sweeping the three-game road trip. Yeah. Like, that was surprising with all of the injuries that happened. They are a team. It, here's what I loved about them in the Stanley Cup run. It's it's that they never, they were so tough-minded and disciplined. They didn't let, so last year in the NBA playoffs, the Golden State Warriors were beating Memphis. uh, I can't remember what the series was, but they're in Memphis in a game that they could close out the series. They didn't care. They didn't care. They went out there, messed around. Memphis blew them out because they knew they can just go right back home and win the series. The Avalanche never did that. Not one time. When it was time to win, when it was time to buckle down and do the thing that needed to be done, they did that. And that I, I, I admired that piece of that team probably as much as anything. And so fast forward to this season, and you talk about winning on that three-game road trip, and then you have a game that could be a trappish game right here. It feels trappy. Because Vancouver but, can score. Like that was their their offseason mandate was we're gonna score a bunch of goals and we're gonna hope that Thatcher Demko turns into, you know, a top seven goalie in the league. And that's what his trajectory was at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. He hasn't quite gotten there this year. It's been a touch and go with whomever the Canucks have had between the pipes this year. The defense is not great. Right, Quinn Hughes is their number one. He was supposed to be uh, right up there with Kale McCarr in terms of uh, being in the Norris Trophy conversation year in and year out, and he's taken a little bit of a step back. Uh, His brother Jack with the New Jersey Devils has done the complete opposite. He's looking like a superstar right now as the Devils have won 13 straight. Mm -hmm. I, The Avs are minus 195 favorites tonight on the money line, and I believe they're plus 130 on the puck line to cover minus one and a half. Yeah. Plus plus one thirty to cover minus one and a half. I, 
I just don't see the goaltending continuing to be as stellar as it has been, right? Georgie's been awesome outside of yeah. getting bowled over. Uh, he's coming off a shutout two games ago, has a big win two nights or two nights ago. Uh, Pavel Francouz had arguably his best game uh, in the NHL, stopping 46 of 48 mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. The, the Carolina Hurricanes. Yep. I expect them to be good. I don't expect them to let in zero or one against Vancouver because of how well they can score. Um, but but that they're gonna win. I I, I know. I, look, I know it's a. Um, I don't want to play puck line Jesus tonight <laughs> and take the minus one and a half and hope for <laughs> hope for an empty netter. Yeah, you know, I I just I look at this team and these games that are legit. You know, human nature trappish kind of situations. It feels like the Pistons. Yeah, well, but see, but 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 we're dealing with the Avs here, and the Avs mindset is just. Quite honestly, right now, it's just a little more disciplined and stronger. Explain that from a Nuggets perspective. So when the the Nuggets have a couple of things that are flaws in their personality, and that is, one, sometimes when they tend to get up really quickly and big early in games, then they just take the, the foot off the – they take the pedal off the metal. And you see some big early leads evaporate pretty quickly – and now you're in. Now you're in a fight the rest of the game. Abs versus Vegas two years ago in the Western Conference semifinal. Mm-hmm. But the Nuggets will do that against the Detroit Pistons. See what I'm saying? Yep. The difference there, it's whereas the Avs, I don't see them. Look, if the game tonight is close, it's not because the Avs didn't give it the proper, didn't put the proper importance on it, and didn't give it the proper effort. It'll just be because Vancouver is now playing a really great game, and now they've now they've gotten you in a space where you're playing, uh, you know, it's now you're in a fight. Whereas the Nuggets have these instances where they are playing down to competition. We saw that yesterday against the Detroit Pistons. Quite frankly, we saw that the week before against the the New York Knicks, and they have these spaces in time where they get a little comfortable with success, and that puts them into some trouble spots in some of these games. I, I don't, by and large, see that as a personality that the Avs have. I think they, they are a lot more solid in those areas. It feels like they're almost a little bit more mature. Yeah, and 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 granted, the Nuggets had a year off, right? Like I almost threw last year away yeah, for this court because you out. weren't able to grow. Yeah, uh, two two seasons ago for the Avs when they lost to Vegas uh, after having what they were three and a half minutes away from being up three nothing in that series against the Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we obviously all know what happens. The Avs turtled, they get knocked out and the sky is falling, but they come back the next season and find a way to go 16 and four yeah. and have one of the most dominant playoff runs in the history of the sport. I throw that year last season out the window for the nuggets because you didn't have the core here to learn and grow from mm-hmm. right. Like you didn't even have the guys here to see golden state smack the living crap out of you in the first round. Mm-hmm. So you don't even get to grow from that. And that's the reason why I'm trying to figure out where my goalposts continually move for the nuggets right now. Yeah. Cause they are, they are firmly entrenched in 150 feet of concrete for the avalanche. Yeah. The goalpost is cup or bust. And it's the same mentality for the next six to seven years for the avalanche. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet with the nuggets. And I I find it hard that at the beginning of the year, I thought it was Western conference final and compete at a high level Mm -hmm. or bust Mm -hmm. for the nuggets. And right now with this inconsistency happening and seeing how young the second unit is, I go back to, they're not quite there yet. I go back to thinking about the avalanche when 
they played the Dallas Stars and they fell in seven games when Joel Kivi-Ranta showed up in his NHL debut and or NHL playoff debut and had a hat trick mm-hmm. and stole and stole the show when the Avalanche were as hurt as they as they were. I yeah. go back to that year and go they were they feel ready but they weren't quite there yet because you got to go through it and the only the like the the only teacher like experience is the greatest teacher and for the Avs as talented as they were you still had to go through it. And sometimes what that means is you are going to take losses in series that you were probably the better. Now, look, the, one of the years they, they were very injured. And so th- that is debatable, you know, at, at the time when you're losing significant players, which team has the, 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 the better depth of talent in that series when injuries get into the get into the, to the situation. But it, outside of that, it, it's 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 about learning what the rhythm and flow is in the playoffs and how the 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 level that you have to play at the 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 games and possessions that you cannot give away to be able to continue to advance the Avs had to learn that and the Nuggets are going to have to learn that now they went to the Western Conference Finals and the bubble and that I, I I'm not sure what the teaching moments of that are because we've never seen that and we probably will never see that again. But they made it, and they played high-level basketball to be able to do that. But this is a new, a vastly, just about the entire team is different, even from, from that team right there. I mean, outside of Joker and Jamal. So now you got to relearn all of this, and Jamal still has to get to the space where he's not thinking about the knee and, and, and able to knock all the rust off. Like There are still questions that the Nuggets have to answer that the Avs just don't. And the Avs proved to me last year that it is not in their DNA to just give things away, no matter how bad you are or if they feel like they have margin for error. Avs Canucks tonight, 8 p.m. We're expecting the debut of 2021 28th overall first round draft pick Oscar Olausen to make his NHL debut this night. He was called up from the Eagles Today, uh, morning skate is happening as we speak right now. I'll send a text out to Moj and, uh, and Connor and see if it does seem like Oscar is slated to play in this game. This is a, a guy who put up nearly 50 points in two years with the Barry Colts uh, and the Oshawa Generals in the Ontario Junior Hockey League. He comes over from Sweden uh, after playing in the Swedish Elite League at 18 years, or sorry, at 17 years old. He had 16 games there for HV 71. He had four points, three goals, one assist. Showed decently at the World Juniors, although didn't show up at any uh, uh, any of the score sheets there, but works hard. He's six foot two, six three. Uh, he's just shy of 190 pounds, so he still has a little bit of meat to get on his bones to really compete at this level. Uh, he has an elite shot on the power play, like really, really good. Although it takes him a little while to get it off. The question right now is whether he can skate at the NHL level. We're going to get a chance and a look at him tonight. So Oscar Lawson expected to make his NHL debut on Altitude Sports Radio 92.5. That game starts tonight, 7.30 pregame. Dempsey and Raj back in a bit.